This podcast does not constitute medical advice. All changes surrounding medications, diet and exercise should be made in consultation with a professional who can assess your unique health circumstances. Welcome to the Rheumatoid Solutions Podcast with Clint Patterson, helping you to live an easier, healthier, and happier life. Really excited to have a special guest on this episode. We have Rachel Singleton. She's calling in from the north of England, a beautiful part of the world that I have not been to, but she tells me she's in a glorious part uh, of Europe and she's going to go for a bike ride after this. Um, Today we're going to talk about IBS and colitis, two things that she has had struggles with over the years and also some great results with. So we're going to delve into that. We're also going to explore the connection between the emotional and physical aspects of well-being, of which she is an expert. And so I'd like to welcome Rachel to this episode. Thank you, Clint. Now, you've been helping people for many years to improve their wellness and their mindset and so forth regarding working on emotional aspects of well-being. Can, can you tell myself and our audience what that involved and what you did? Yeah, so I really got interested in health uh, 20 years ago when I first started to have health problems, which we'll go on to talk about. But what I, I think the question that's been driving me the last 20 years is what is health and what is well-being? And it seems to me that the more holistic our vision of that is, the more potent are the results that we get. And for me, what I do, I've, I've trained in various complementary therapies. But essentially what I do is I work with people to connect back to that that place within where we always have well-being, where we know what that feels like. And that when we are seated in that and we connect with that, we can make decisions about what to do to help ourselves. But it's like unless we land in that place, that quiet place inside where we're feeling what we need, it's hard to see the next step. It's hard to see what's the right thing to do. It's hard to see the wood for the trees. There's so much information out there. How do we discern? How do we find our path through? So what I do is create a space to help people really listen into that, what's right for them and their body and how is they, how do they know that because of what their body does in response and because of what their emotions do in response. So it's like this inner dialogue with the self, with the deep self, I call it. And it's really beautiful work. Yes, I was almost uh, transfixed listening to you now. You have a very soft voice and you have a an apparent, you know, deep wisdom that comes from you. And it's fascinating. So I'm looking forward to hearing more about um, some specifics that we might be able to do a little later in this conversation and some ways in which we can connect on that deeper level. And I loved what you just said about the more holistic the approach is to health, the better the outcome. That's so true. You know, I've I've, I've picked up things over the years on how, you know, we need to just, you know, the whole stop and smell the flowers kind of angle, which is just to, to the angles of appreciation of our environment, the love in our life, the exercise that we get, 
our connection to the divine, whatever it might be. But all of these things add up, isn't it? They all do have a cumulative effect. It's not whether we take that supplement or not. It's all the other aspects that have such a profound impact. Yeah, absolutely. And that's beautifully put. You know, <laughs> I think it's just that the more we open to our own wholeness, then the greater our ex- access actually is to that. You know, I, I think of being ill as living a very small slither of your 360 degrees potential. You know, it's like we get caught in that little place where we're, our focus is just on maybe getting through the day, you know, because things are so hard. And anything that we can do that just opens and eases and takes us back into more and more of that 360 degree level of living our life and reclaiming that is really powerful, you know. So if we get our sleep back or if we get to being able to be out in nature and and loving that and walking in that, or if we get to feeling more love and friendship and support, you know, all of these things have the most phenomenal impact. And of course, food. (laughs) Food's a huge part of this. Yeah. But, you know, we we can work on so many levels at once. You know, if we go for like a conventional diagnosis, we're kind of told you've got this, these are the medications and and this is going to be your prognosis. But when we look beyond that and we look at ourselves as a living organism and part of a living ecosystem, we've got much richer resources than that would seem to suggest. And that doesn't mean that that part isn't useful, but knowing that we can look at things in a different way and come to it from different angles can just open doors that make our healing journey something deeply personal and deeply spiritual. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's start to move into some specifics now and uh, talk about IBS and colitis. There are a couple of reasons that I was excited to have you on this conversation. Is uh, Firstly, I wanted to have you on as uh, an expert from the point of view of what we've just been chatting about in in the the 360 degree aspect of healing, but also because IBS and colitis hasn't been handled sufficiently on our show yet. We haven't had a lot of information on how to get on top of these conditions being shared. And I, I wanted to have you on to talk about that. So with that pre-frame, can you explain IBS and colitis in general terms to some people who haven't had those specific symptoms in their life? Um, and then also to go on to explain how, you know, you were affected personally by these two conditions uh, and whether or not you had a variation on the typical responses. Yeah, I remember, just as an aside, I remember when I first connected with you a couple of years ago, and obviously yours is a rheumatoid arthritis program, but what I saw was that your the basis of the work is healing the gut. and. I hadn't found anything to that point that was really addressing that. So I contacted you saying, would you mind if someone who doesn't have RA comes on? <laughs> and I didn't want to take up space, you know, but I was just thinking this could be absolutely make or break for me. And it really has been. So in terms of IBS itself, um, so IBS can have a whole range of symptoms, but it's irritable bowel syndrome. So you've got irritation in the gut somewhere along the gut. And that can show up as um, diarrhea, constipation. It can be going between the two. It can be very sudden. It can be very debilitating. 
there's often a huge amount of pain that could be cramping, spasms. It could be um, bloating, like really serious bloating and distension of the abdomen. It can be a whole host of other things like, you know, reacting to food, um, swelling in other parts of the body as water kind of just collects. And basically things just aren't going through right. Mm. You know, they're not going through the body right and through the digestive system right and then what that can bring is the longer that that goes on there's a lot of malabsorption because the food's coming in and it's coming in in a way that's really challenging for a highly sensitive inflamed system and so you know to get some food to go down smoothly and quietly is a real achievement <laughs> without there being pain or some kind of massive reaction so then colitis is like a next step on from that, I guess, and that maybe happens for some people as it did for me with so many years of IBS that the gut just gets so damaged. And then you're getting much more severe inflammation and that can show up as things like mucus in the stools and eventually blood in the stools. And again, extraordinarily debilitating. And if it becomes ulcerative colitis, then there's actually ulcers in the colon. Um, and so that is then incredibly painful you know if you think of that kind of burning mm. raw pain of and you've got that every time food goes past it's like it's aggravating that so it's a really nasty thing for me personally i had the first symptoms of ibs in my late teens early 20s when i was at university that was kind of the first i knew about it and it was always related to, to tension and stress and then it got worse and worse and worse. And I guess what I would have, like a typical day at that time, I would wake usually quite early and within moments of waking, I'd be in pain. So I'd be doubled up with um, severe cramping and spasming, really kind of cutting pain right in my abdomen so that I'd be, um, like there'd be waves of that pain coming through me. And, um, and then I'd need to rush to the toilet and I'd go to the toilet and then I'd be a bit better after that. But then as soon as I ate, I'd get loads of bloating. And then a while later, that would come back into cramps and spasms. And then I'd get rid of that. And then I'd be okay for a bit. And then on it goes, meal after meal after meal. So I didn't know what to eat. At one point, somebody probably, I don't know, mid-20s, somebody suggested I didn't have wheat. So I cut out all wheat. Um, and I guess just not having all that refined food that wheat leads to was actually really, really good, whether or not it was the gluten just that side of it was really good. And then I cut out dairy and then eventually I cut out sugar. And each of those things had a good effect, but I was still eating meat and I was still doing this, that and the other. And, and, and then eventually I was going backwards and forwards to Egypt running a training. And, and at the time it's when all the troubles were kicking off in Cairo and I was working in Cairo and it was really stressful to be there. And each trip felt more and more challenging, even though the group were wonderful. And I came back from the last trip of that and I was in a really bad way. And I was, I started to just have this sickness and diarrhea going on at night where I was spending most of the night on the bathroom floor, just, mm. just near to the toilet as I could mm. be. Mm. And I was just lying there shaking and freezing cold in between these bouts and just absolutely debilitated. And that would go on for a few nights and then I'd get a break and I'd be okay again. But meanwhile, I was losing weight massively quickly. And it was December. So here in the UK, that's like, it was really cold. And one of the days we went down to the um, local GP surgery and I was um, 
I was particularly bad at that point. And they were they were trying to um, take some blood to do some tests, and I was shaking so much. And they they put all of the jackets that everybody had on top of me to try and keep me warm. And I was just so thin and so kind of malnourished at that point. And in the end, they sent me through the host to the hospital, but they sent me through to get checked for pneumonia because they were worried I was actually going to get pneumonia at that point. And whilst I was there, I had my lungs x-rayed, but they never checked to what was going on in my gut. And then this guy eventually came around and said, oh, you've got Giardia and sent me off on my way with some antibiotics. And and I already knew from one of the other doctors that it was suspected ulcerative colitis. And the last thing I should be taking was antibiotics because the last thing you want to do is take out the remaining gut flora that you've got. So I knew better than to take that dismissive <laughs> diagnosis <laughs> and believe it. And I, but I thought, right, I need to find an alternative way. So I actually went to macrobiotics for a while and that's, you know, a vegan diet and that really, really helped. Yeah. And I was able to start putting weight back on. And then I just kind of went back to normal eating and didn't really think much more about it. And I went back to my normal IBS because right. that had been so much the norm for me in my life that I just kind of thought I was always going to have it. I didn't know I could go any further. And then things started to get bad again and I started to look deeper again. And I thought the only time when my digestion has been absolutely pain-free was when I was eating a vegan diet. So I thought, right, I don't want to go back to macrobiotics. It's far too complicated. But I do want to look at a whole food plant-based diet. And so I did and I went whole food plant-based and I got a lot of improvement and a lot more energy, but I was still in pain. And so it was April, probably about two years ago now, when I contacted you. And at that point, I had had a really bad month and I felt like I was really going downhill again. And I just was at my wit's end. I didn't know what to do. You know, I thought, God, I've tinkered with my diet as much as I can. I've done everything I can. I, I just don't know what to do here. So I started the 10 day reset and the first few days were actually quite uncomfortable. And I just felt really weak and tired and cold. <laughs> mm -hmm. And and then and then things just started to improve. And and my symptoms just fell away. You know, they just disappeared. And it was quite incredible to me. And then bit by bit by bit, my energy came back. My my body started to feel like it was thriving, you know, for the first time in years. <laughs> mm. You know, it just felt such a gift because at the point when I when I was admitted to hospital, I I literally couldn't walk outside the garden. I couldn't get more than ten steps. I was walking like a ninety year old. I was so weak, and it was absolutely awful how debilitating that was. So to to just be leaving all that behind mm. and knowing I was never going to have to go there again. <laughs> That's absolutely fantastic. So, how long? into the program did you experience these really good results and results that you had not experienced really your whole adult life so within the first 10 days within 10 days so i would say it was probably by about day six that everything kind of calmed down in terms of bowel movements and things like that and probably by about 10 day 10 that i stopped having the pain in the morning and then after that what was sticking was just my energy levels and that took longer but I figured yeah there was a lot of years of not getting the right stuff in and there was a lot of pair work to do but 
with my digestion working smoothly and with that lack of pain and inflammation there, then I knew that I was on the way. And then it was it was things like if I went too fast and got too like looking too far ahead in terms of what recipes I could have, <laughs> <laughs> then then I'd you know I'd just leap on a bit too far and that that wasn't helpful. And also I've always had a problem with fruit. I don't know why fruit and tomatoes they I need to stick to vegetables uh, for whatever reason. And I just learned that. And same with salt. I can have some miso, but if I have too, and I adore it, but if I have too much, then it's just not, it's just not great for me. My body just says, no, that's not too much. But, but conversely, if I don't have any, then there's something about the substance and the groundedness of miso that I need, you know, so I need some, but not too much. And it's just this real listening. If I eat too much late at night, and it was something I noticed you've you've put in your notes. I was going back and reading them last week and thinking, oh, yeah, I've missed that. But if I eat too much late at night, I'll see that the next morning. Yeah. yeah. Even the good stuff, you know. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Do you, how do I ask this question? It's not personal. It's just well, I'm trying to formulate what I actually really want to know. And And what I want to know is, there must be so much conflicting information about the correct approach to treat IBS and colitis. It must be well debated online, just like it is with rheumatoid arthritis and different diets and so forth. What incorrect common knowledge do you feel that there is that needs to be that needs to be kind of shut down? Or what is it that most people get wrong about trying to treat this condition? So I guess there's a couple of things that I've heard people saying that they're doing, like the FODMAP. I don't, I've not tried it myself, but that to me seems to really, well, it takes out things like onions and stuff like that, which to me feels really important, really important foods. And there's things like, what else do I hear people doing? So people saying that they shouldn't have certain things like quinoa or the pulses because there's things in there that will aggravate your digestion. And yet, you know, these these are people who are still going to be keeping in the white flour and right. <laughs> the sugar. Right, right. <laughs> I think it's crazy confusing for people, you know. Yeah. And when I say to people, look, you could be having this turned around in 10 days. And and they're like, oh, no, no, you know, there's no way, there's no way. You mustn't have had it as bad as me. And, <laughs> you know. That's so infuriating, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Or just that people are so, there's something about your food. Mm. And for some people, it can feel like it's the last comfort they've got. And it's deeply personal and they don't want to give that up and they're not going to change that for anyone. And it's far too much hard work. I actually think that's the biggest obstacle. And when someone's really ready to look at that, then they're ready to change and they're going to have fantastic results. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I wonder if the reason for that is partly because they have the fear of they might not be able to keep it up and then almost the fear of failure of something that everyone else says might work is too great to want to start it. Or is it that they just don't know how and it's all a bit overwhelming or do they just need to have encouragement around them from people who can assist them? You know, there's a lot of reasons that people might not proceed to go down the path that you did when they are experiencing the same symptoms, even when you can present yourself as a 
as a wonderful case study for how this can be. It always amazes me the reluctance of people to make changes when the evidence is so strong, not just you know the physical evidence of the person in front of them who's telling them to do it, but also the published scientific evidence around, you know, particularly with rheumatoid or inflammatory arthritis and and uh, and the foods we eat, which is well published now that a plant-based diet, with the exception that they say with perhaps some fermented dairy products, meaning like yogurt. But, you know, the, 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 the summaries of the science is, is clear. So there's a lot going on, and it takes a special person with some adventurous, adventurous mind, some confidence, um, and, and pain as a great motivator to, to go down this path. So, you know, well done. It's, um, it's a huge outcome that you've, that you've uh, achieved. It's, it's sensational. So what happens if you now decide that you want to expand your foods a lot? Uh, do you find that symptoms start to show up? And are you playing the tightrope balancing act where a little bit too much, go back the other way, a bit too much? Is it always a bit like that? No, it definitely varies. So if there's a lot going on in my life and life is tipping towards being a bit more stressful, even in a nice way, you know what I mean? Like when you've just got lots going on and you're more busy and you're maybe not got quite as much time to just settle and be quiet inside, which I think is one of the key things for me, then then I've noticed that at those times I have to be a lot more careful that my body is less tolerant of me moving into things that might be a little bit on the periphery. Like, you know, I love sourdough, I love coconut milk, but if I have too much of that, then yeah, then I know that I'm I'm tipping myself over potentially. And and if there's times when I really need to be on tip top form, then I'll just stick with what I call my peasant food, you know, which is just <laughs> just really staying with the grains, with the three grain in particular. I love that. I just find that deeply soothing. And the celery and cucumber juice is amazing. How how soothing that is to the digestive tract. My mm. goodness, just mm. like one of my best medicines for sure. I. I will always be grateful for you for showing me that one. Um, and then, yeah, you know, pulses and loads of greens and loads of vegetables. Yeah. I was listening to Chris Walk, I think, is it? The guy who does Chris Beats Cancer. Yeah, yeah. He, he was talking the other day about how he had something like 15 to 20 portions of fruit and veg a day when he was really trying to cure himself. Yeah. I kind of sat down and totted up what I had, and I was thinking, yeah, it's around 15 portions a day. And it's like, but it just... It just mm. makes you thrive, doesn't it? You know, it does. so there's a sense in which that feels so good now that I'm actually not that interested in moving away from it. You know, and it's probably more a social thing that I will have something a bit more mainstream, yeah. but still whole food plant based. Yeah. But I'll do that with people. But the rest of the time, my my food of choice is the stuff that just makes me feel great. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, who wants to feed the body something that it has more challenge with? You know, we, we have enough challenges externally, let alone with putting challenges internally. Uh, yeah. so some things that you mentioned I really like. This is, a, this is something that is, a, uh, is something for me to keep in mind. Um, when you said that, you know, even when our stresses come from something positive, it's still stress. You know, like uh, you see people like Elon Musk for a good example, right? So that guy, every time I 
see that guy, he's always like extremely busy and promotes working every hour of the day or something. I think he sleeps. I've heard, you know, that he's like slept in his office. And I mean, the guy just works, works, works. So obviously he loves what he does. He is driven and he's passionate. But all of that positive stuff is still stressful on the body, right? It's still taxing on the body. So that was one thing that I think is a great thing for us to keep in mind. Even when we feel great, let's still not take things too far for ourselves and push our, let's not become overwhelmed with positive, stressful things as well. I mean, you also said, you know, that finding that that deep connection or that quiet place within yourself. And that's what I'd like to find out. How do you do that? What are your mechanisms for finding your quiet place within? And what would you recommend other people do if they're just getting started to try and do this? Yeah, I mean, what you're saying there reminds me of something that I think of it in terms of yin time and yang time. So if you think of the yin-yang symbol and that balance that the kind of Chinese philosophers can really see that we need and that everything has, you know. So I think we live in a world that's very yang, where it's all about the outpouring and what we're doing and what we're producing and how busy we are and how successful we are. and and a lot of people are going to bed each night having had no yin time mm. during the day. So no time when they're just in quietness and reflection and in receptivity rather than productivity. And where there's a space for gentleness and a space for contemplation and pottering and mm. wandering and mm. <laughs> gazing at the window, you know, and daydreaming and letting, there's a lovely story about I don't know whether they're a North American Indian tribe, but some researchers are watching a tribe and they're kind of working out how they live. And one of the things that they see them do, it's a nomadic tribe, they're hunter-gatherers. And one of the things they see them do is um, every so often during the day, they just all, as a group, just stop without any warning. And they stop and they're silent. And the researchers are all going, well, what's going on? Are they looking for prey? Are they wondering if this is a good place to camp? You know, are they scouting something out? And eventually they ask the chief and he said, that's the time we stop to let our souls catch up. Hmm. And, and there's something about that story always gives me shivers. You know, it's, it's that sense that there's this deep part of ourselves that's just trying to frantically catch up with busy doing human doing. <laughs> mm. Yeah. And, and forgetting that part of ourselves. And when we, when we quieten, and it really is a very personal thing that we just, find our way to you know what makes you feel quieter what gives you that you know for some people that might be meditation for some people it's just walking in nature for someone it's having a lion or reading you know just just being quiet journaling but it's something where you get chance to listen in more deeply and as we do that you know I think of the when our thinking's really busy it's like it's like when you see a pond that's been disturbed and the water goes all murky. And when we let our minds quieten, let things settle and that sediment just all drops to the bottom, then it goes beautifully clear again. And the mind mm. does that. Just as the body can regenerate when we put good stuff in it, our mind is wise. It's got insight. It's got clarity. But we need to let it settle. We need to give it that space so that that can arise and we can get our best insights and our best take on something. You know, you often hear that phrase, put it on the back burner. You know, I'm going to 
I'm going to let that thought percolate away there in the background until I get some clarity around it. And we don't really give ourselves space for that. Mm. And there's something innately healing in that. Mm. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. I love that metaphor of the stirred up pond and the and the uh, particles settling for clarity. That's a really good one. So you've told us some really uh, uh, good reasons why we need to do this. Um, do you recommend different specifics for different people when you're working with them? Do you ask them questions like, what makes you feel calm? Or what do you probe and find out and then just recommend that they continue to do that? I mean, because... People get sick of hearing you should meditate. That really becomes a hard sell. Um, And I can tell that you have a way around that, which is to say, hey, you can get the, you can get effectiveness of connection to yourself without having to sit, close your eyes and repeat a mantra. You can get it other ways. And that's nice to know that. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's nice to know that it's actually already within us. And in a way, there is no technique. So what I'm, what I'm doing with people is, first of all, they know that when they're coming to me, then what we're going to be spending time with is their deep wisdom. So we've already set that as our intention together. And then as we're talking, and that can be about whatever's going on for them or whatever they're struggling with or whatever's happening in their life, whether it's physical or emotional, you know, on whatever level, then we're creating a space together where we're going to listen for when the head's coming in and with all the shoulds and coulds and have-tos and that driving kind of insistent, almost desperate energy. And we're Mm. going to recognize that when it comes in and we're going to notice it and what it says and how that feels in the body. And then we're also going to see what happens when we're not doing that and when Mm. we dare to let that go. And there's a, there's a lovely book called The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. And in there, he talks about how we have this voice in our head 24-7 that's constantly critiquing our life. You know, it's there analyzing and telling us what's what and who's who. And if you really listen to that, then some moments it's telling you you're fantastic and at other moments it's telling you you are the pits. And the same for the people in your life or the quality of your life or what your work is. You know, it's horrendously erratic. And if we had somebody like that on the outside talking to us like that all the time, we would sooner or later shut them in a cupboard and walk away. (laughs) You know, we would not be listening to them and we would not give that credence. But somehow when that's happening in our own head, we think we have to believe our thoughts. And actually, the quality of the feeling we're having in our body is indicative of the quality of thought that we're having. If we're having stressful thoughts, we will have stress in our body. But if we're really listening to our wisdom, what we feel is calm and at ease and at home. Mm. And that's the place to listen from and that's the place to live from. So the sessions themselves that I do would be an experiential journey through that. So that the person gets better and better at recognizing for themselves, oh God, I'm in, I'm in cloudy, murky thinking here. I've got the confused pond water. And if I just back off from that and don't get involved in that, it's not that I'm going into positive thinking. It's that I'm recognizing that that isn't helpful and that there's another part of me I can access. Mm. Yeah, I love it. Absolutely great. Absolutely. Yeah. It's fantastic. I love this stuff. You know, this is just as fun for me as the uh, technical problem-solving solutions for pain sort of stuff. It's because, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's more of the, um, 
it's more connection to who we are, which is really so powerful. And pain just falls mm. away in the mm. living moment. Yeah. You know, so much pain can escalate when we are scared of and tight and tense in our thinking about that pain and we get more and more concerned and that pain is escalating in our body. Those um, those hormones are escalating in our body in response to that. Mm. So the moment that we can see that for what it is, it loses its power. And that just the seeing itself does the job. There is no technique. Yeah. And then we can relax into something much deeper and truer and we can find our way back to our health with that. Yeah, love it. You have used walking and qigong as techniques to help yourself heal. Can you speak on those two topics for me? Mm, Yeah, so... So I really got from you just how important exercise is. You know, it wasn't just about food. That's not what the Patterson program is just about. It's so much more. And so for me, we didn't have hot yoga around here. And to be quite honest, the thought of it terrified me. (laughs) And But what we do have is I live in the mountains. So I've got walks in every direction. And I love walking and I've got my dog, you know, so walking became my first thing. And then I, then I was doing some running, but running didn't feel as great for me. I love running, but it just didn't, my body would get quite exhausted from that. So I knew that wasn't good for me. So, so I remembered that a few years back I used to do Qigong and I used to feel really, really strong on that. So I went back to that. Um, and there's a beautiful teacher who teaches online called Ming Tong Gu. Um, and he has, I think it's the chiecenter.com or something is his website. And he does these beautiful, beautiful online courses. And so I started a daily practice, um, following his instructions and, and that's just been amazing for my body. And, you know, I can get up in the morning and feel, um, if I have eaten too much the next day or I've eaten something a bit, the wrong thing, or I've over exercised or whatever it might be. And I can get up in the morning and feel very stiff and achy and, and queasy. And, you know, those would be the worst symptoms I have now. Um, so if I had something like that, then I can go and do a half hour of Qigong and I'm like a different person. It's just all gone. You know, it's just incredible. It just goes. And then I've got loads of energy for the day and my stamina and my resilience, you know, they're just all going up and up and up. So so I really, really rate Qigong. I think it's beautiful. And I also love it because it's all about the balance of yin and yang. And it's such a a spiritual and flowing practice. And it, it looks graceful. It feels graceful. And yet it really strengthens your body. So yeah, that's been, that's been priceless going back to that as well. I've loved that. Mm, rheumatologist Nisha Manik, who I've had on a uh, podcast in the past, also one that's about to be published shortly will will have been published by the time this is released um and also who has come on and uh, uh helped out uh rheumatoid support members doing q and a's recently uh she's a big endorser of of qigong and she has you know believed that that's a very very powerful strategy and encourages all of her patients who see her in a rheumatology clinic to do qigong and further I have a friend, one of my best friends, actually he was a uh, best man at my wedding, Joel Osborne, a fellow Australian comedian who uh, has been doing Qigong, I'm, I want to say, for the last 10 years. And when he first started doing it, telling me about it, I uh, I was, you know, had never heard of it. It seemed very unusual. Um, but he's so passionate about having the habit of doing it each day 
that, you know, I, I've been at airports with him and he just says, I've got to go to the bathroom for 20 minutes. I've, I haven't done my Qigong yet. And then he does it in a cubicle at an airport because he has to get his Qigong done. And I'm like, dude, you, you're hardcore about this Qigong. And he's like, oh, you know, I'll see you in 20 minutes. And he doesn't, he comes back and he's just, you know, and away we go. So, you know, it's obviously, uh, it's obviously something that um, has a profound effect for the, for, really yeah. He should do it in the middle of the airport and everyone will be doing it with him. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they do in the parks in China. You know, they just all go and do it in the park and everybody does it. I right. was walking through, um, one of the parks, Regent's Park in London a couple of weeks ago, there was a whole Qigong class going on in the in the park there. It's just beautiful, you know. Beautiful. But, yeah, it's got such deep roots and there's so mm. much knowledge about it. Mm. Yeah, it is. It's a wonderful thing. And, you know, I've seen it um, with teenagers with panic attacks and, and mm. acute anxiety. I've just got them doing 20 minutes of Qigong in the morning and night. And, my goodness, they just they just come back to grounding so quickly as a result of that. And people with very poor circulation in their extremities, they can see massive improvements there. And elderly people whose bodies are stiff and, you know, and mm. it's so gentle. It's incredibly gentle. Mm, um, great. Yeah, I'm going to look into it. I'm going to definitely uh, give it a go, you know. Yeah, I recommend it. Tell us finally about the um, stress down uh, approach, the three principles by Sid Banks that you were telling me about before we started here yeah so that's really really what i was talking about before is this oh. whole so sid banks and the three principles which is what his work has come to be called is really about understanding how our thoughts um our, our use of our consciousness creates our experience and so how if we are really caught in those gnarly knotty tense thoughts then we're gonna actually experience and look out through that window and everything will be colored by that. But that we also have within our consciousness, we have our awareness, our conscious self that thrives and quiet and deep and present. And he, his beautiful writings and beautiful teachings, they're, they're available out there. There's a lot of it available for free on the internet. If you just look up Sid Banks, there's a website dedicated to him that's got lots of his stuff on there. You can just listen to for free. Yeah, if you've kind of, I felt like I'd been around the block and tried everything twice at least. <laughs> and I came to him and I thought, no, this is something different. Mm. This is really something different. So I would I would definitely recommend if you're feeling stuck on the emotional level or the mental, spiritual level, any of that, or your physical progress isn't quite happening as you want it to, then go and take a look at that and just sit, chill out, listen to Sid and see what happens. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I've got some homework here. I'm excited to go and check out some of these new things and to you know, just to learn more, you know, I've been blessed be, to be able to have this show and, and to learn from people like you as well. So it's been we never great. Stop yeah. We're never learning. No, we never stop learning. I just also feel the, um, uh, I feel compelled to acknowledge Dr. Hiromi Shinya, who was the original source of my testing of the three grain pseudo mix that uh, made up the baseline of the Patterson program, the amaranth, quinoa and buckwheat. This comes from his discoveries over years and his recommendations to patients who are recovering from cancer. So this is uh, colon cancer. So that combination of foods, the, the source of wisdom for that is from a gastroenterologist. Wow. And so his knowledge around what is most gentle for the bowel 
is why that is the foundation of the baseline foods. So, you know, it, it all comes yeah. back. It all comes back to science on that front. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense to me. Mm. It's me as well. I came across the most fantastic recipe that uses buckwheat and quinoa where you soak them for 24 hours and then whisk them up in a blender with a few other things and you make this delicious bread. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's got oats in and it's got chia seeds. It's got all of our good foods yep. in that we have. It's absolutely beautiful. And it's some. It's on a YouTube, the Whole Food Plant-Based Cooking Show. I don't know whether you've come across that lady, but she makes this beautiful bread soaking the buckwheat and the quinoa. So you kind of start to release the enzymes. You know, you've you've soaked it for so long yeah. that when you to then make it, oh, it's, it's beautiful. That's become a real staple for us in our household. Oh, that's great, isn't it? It's amazing when we can start to eat breads and, and, and just have different sort of textures in our mouth and, you know, mm-hmm. variety. It's great. It's great. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you, Rachel. This has been awesome. I uh, really enjoyed chatting. Um, you've got a website, rachelsingleton.com. I'm sure that uh, you'd welcome anyone who'd like to have a chat with you about um, their current situation and see if you could help them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just get in touch for sure. Mm. Okay. Well, well done on everything you've achieved with your health and also all the wonderful work that you're doing with people. Thanks so much for sharing. Thank you, Clint. Thanks for listening to Rheumatoid Solutions. If you'd like to get more help to live an easier, healthier, and happier life, visit rheumatoidsolutions.com.